Well, Linda and I were at Freed Hardeman, uh, one of the campaigns that kicked off down there by the student body, adopted the motto, I've got fire in my bones. I can just hear Eddie Miller, who was the president of our class, announcing that in Old Chapel Hall, at one of the chapel services that we had. I think it was to raise money maybe for a science building or something. I don't remember exactly what the cause was, but the, but the phrase came from Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. We talked about uh, his word was as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I, I thought of that as I began to prepare for tonight and uh, how we need to be on fire for the Lord. And of course, the story that we're going to use tonight for our text, uh, Neil read the opening part of it in Daniel chapter 3. And I guess uh, we remember that from the very early days of our Bible study. When we were small children, we were taught about uh, Daniel and we were taught about his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And... Uh, things that happened to them in their service to the Lord. And of course their era is back when the Israelites had been carried into Babylonian captivity. And uh, we, as we studied about them, we wondered about their courage. We were impressed by their determination and zeal that they had to serve their God and not the false gods of the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. But as we uh, grew up and we got older and more knowledgeable about the ways of God, we began to understand that a lot of their problems result, resulted from the same thing that our problems today resulted from. Pressure from others to do things that we know we ought not to do. Uh, you know, we've, we understand that this thing that we call the Christian life is uh, sometimes difficult to live. You know, we're at odds with the world and how the world lives. Paul in uh, Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 2 said, that we cannot be conformed to the world, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We're at odds with the devil, and Peter describes him in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 and verse 8 as our adversary, our enemy. Uh, he's after us to, to really destroy us, but deception on his part makes the destruction look like something we could enjoy uh, and even take pride in. And we're even at odds with the flesh that we live in and what that flesh wants to do. In Galatians 5 and verse uh, 17, Paul said, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. So we're at war. And with all the, the conflicts that, that you and I face, there is the temptation for us to 
conform uh, to the influences that surround us and go the way of the world, the way of the flesh, and the way of our adversary, the devil. And it seems that 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 may be the way a lot of our so-called Christian country is going today. So that's why this uh, lesson tonight, even though it deals with something that, that we studied as children, that's why the story about Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is so needed in our day to day. These men teach us valuable lessons. And one of the most valuable is that it is possible to be on fire, if you will, or to live for the Lord when most of those around us are headed for other fires, headed for destruction that will be in the end. These men teach us how we need to be on fire for our God. And where there is genuine faith, there is fire or zeal to exert and exercise that faith in our lives. The world and and the devil, they're going to try to put our flame out. They're going to try to kill the zeal that we have to uh, have, and they're going to try to mold us into their image. But these verses tonight, I think, in this uh, Daniel chapter 3, will really tell us how we can avoid that and how we can be on fire for the Lord. Number 1, verses 1 through 7 of the text of Daniel 3 teaches us that we have to be different. Now, evidently, Nebuchadnezzar hadn't hadn't been content with Daniel's interpretation of the dream that he had back in chapter 2. If you turn back and read the opening part of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and nobody can interpret it for him that is within his kingdom, his magicians and all these prophets of his. They couldn't tell him what it meant. But Daniel was eventually brought to him and Daniel revealed to him the content of that dream and exactly what it meant. And one of the things that Daniel says that's going to happen to his kingdom is that one of these days the Lord is going to establish a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And of course we know that's a prophecy concerning the church uh, that the Lord was to shed his blood for. That was the purchase price of God's kingdom, the blood of Jesus, his son, taught us in Acts chapter 20. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't like the interpretation of that dream, and he wanted to establish his kingdom forever. But, of course, Daniel told him his kingdom was going to fall, just like some others that would come after him, but there was going to be that eternal kingdom established. So Nebuchadnezzar in order to preserve his kingdom, made this image, a huge image. Uh, You're given the dimensions of it, I believe, in the opening part of uh, verse 1 there that Neil read. uh, Set it up uh, in the plains of Dira. It was about three score cubits. 
And the breadth of it was about six cubits. That is, three cubits high. And it was uh, uh, six cubits wide. Uh, and if you measure that times the one and a half, usually, feet that uh, a cubit measures, then you'll see what the dimensions are. Uh, three score cubics, you know, that's 60, isn't it? So it's rather high. In other words, it was something that could be readily seen. That's what Nebuchadnezzar commissioned to be made. And he set himself and his God up as somebody to be worshipped. And his decree was given that every body in his kingdom would bow down to that image and pay homage. Uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were servants of the Most High God. They, be, they were Hebrew men who had been captured and brought to serve Nebuchadnezzar because they were the finest of the lot in Israel. So they, were, they had a dilemma. Uh, you know, those that didn't bow down to that image, they were going to be destroyed by being cast into a fiery furnace. So there was a temptation put to these men that they had to overcome in three specific ways. And those ways are still faced by the children of God today. One of those temptations was to guard their positions. You know, there was the, there was the temptation to, to look after self in this matter and to guard their personal interest. Now, that's something that tempts us today, isn't it? In the workplace, uh, in the society that we're a part of, we don't want to be an outcast. Uh, we want to protect our image and we want to protect ourselves and the interests that we have, the positions that we occupy in this world. So these men might have been tempted to think like this. You know, we're in positions of great influence in this kingdom, and they were according to chapter 2 and verse 49. And if we remain alive, who knows what we might be able to do for the Lord's cause here in this foreign country. But if we get ourselves killed, we're not going to be any use to anyone. So you see, there was the temptation on their part to guard their position, to protect themselves and the interest they have plus save their life. There was the temptation, number two, to avoid persecution. Neil read verse 6, and according to that verse, anyone who refused to bow was to be burned. And you know, I would say none of us would want that to happen to us. Some, at some point in your life, if you're an adult right now, you've probably had some kind of burn. I remember one time... Uh, when I was a, a boy in grade school, Mama kept an old iron, cast iron tea kettle on a little wood stove we had in the kitchen. She kept watering it all the time, firing the stove, and kept that water hot. Well, 
I was going to get some of that one day, and I poured that thing out, and the lid slid around, and it burnt the whole top of my hand right there. I had a solid blister over all of that and full of water. You know how they come up with steam burns. Boy, that hurt. That hurt. And if you've had grease to pop out on you, you know, these ladies cooking, <laughs> that hurts too, doesn't it? But we think about a fiery furnace huge enough to cast a man in it. And if we're going to see a little bit later, heated in this case for these three men seven times hotter than normal. That's something to think about. So they could have been tempted to reason like this. You know, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Isn't it better to be a living coward than a dead hero? Besides, you know, that, that furnace looks painful. It's a painful way to go. Surely God didn't intend for us to suffer like that. So there could have been the temptation on their part to avoid persecution. And thirdly, there was the temptation to conform to what everybody else was doing. Sometimes we call that peer pressure. You know, I'm just going to bow down to this image because everybody else is doing it. And maybe the temptation on their part would have been something like this. After all, all these people are bowing down. What's it going to hurt? Or they might have said, I'll just bow on the inside, but I'll be standing, or I'll be bowing on the outside, but I'll be standing in my heart. Well, would that work? No, that, that's, that's just a temptation to, to be like everybody else. If we're going to take a stand for the Lord, we have to stand on the outside and the inside, don't we? We can't just be on the inside. So whether they face these temptations or not, that's a matter of speculation. But I think you and I can understand the illustrations that those give us. We have a tendency as human beings to seek what's best for ourselves in any given situation. And while that may be true, if we want to make an impact on God and the world in which we live, then we have to realize as Christians we must be different. And that's what these men had to be. Different. Now let's see how they were different in their day and how we need to be different in our day. The same needs to be true of us that was true of them. Number one in the way they needed to be different was they needed to be separated. These three men were willing to be different from anybody else around them. There's no doubt about that. And you know, I don't know how many can say that today. Ask yourself, am I willing to be different? 
Am I willing to be different? Uh, you know, we need, we need to think about that. Who wants to be called a weirdo? You ever been called a weirdo? I don't know where that word come from, but anyway, that's, uh, I've heard that all my life, I guess. That's what, mean, that's what it means to be different, isn't it? To be weird? Well, you know, that's why we have so many people that, that follow the fads and the customs uh, of our day. That's why we have, uh, you know, so many that follow the, the fads and hairstyles and, and, and even in this day and age, the coloring of the hair, that fad that's come along, you know, from green to gold or whatever, I don't know. Uh, that's why we all watch the same TV shows, millions of people, and it becomes so popular that everybody watches it. You know, we want to keep up with what's the newest terms and the, and the newest uh, hip expressions that are part of, the, uh, of our culture. We want to know the same thing. We want to look the same. We want to talk the same. We want to act the same as everybody else around us. Nobody wants to be different. But you know, that's exactly what the Lord called us to be. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, Paul said, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So we're to be different. He wants us to be different so much that we stand out so much that we draw the world's attention to him. I think that's the idea that Jesus had in mind in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 when he told his disciples, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. They were not to call attention to themselves, but call attention to their Father, which was in heaven. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 that God wants us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So these men were to be different, number one, by being separated. Number two, they were to be different by taking a stand. Now, while everybody else in Babylon was, was bowing to that image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, these men were standing as straight as arrows. They may have been asked, why don't you bow and then repent? After all, it seems like today in our way of thinking and in our religious culture today, that's what we all Ought to do. Let's go ahead and do it. We can repent of it later. Well, we question our motive there. They'd made up their minds that they wouldn't bow to that image, and they didn't. And there's a good example in their taking a stand. You and I know perfectly well today that there are some things that are wrong. It doesn't matter who may be for them. 
It doesn't matter who originated them. They're still wrong. And we need to make up our minds that we're going to take a stand against that which is obviously wrong and we're going to stand for that which is truth, that which is right. You know, God calls us to stand. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses 10 through 18, Paul says that we're to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we have to take a stand. We have to be different. There's a little old animal called the ermine. They're beautiful animals with a beautiful white, snowy fur, and, and hunters want to get them so that fur can be sold. But they're hard to catch. So when the hunter wants to catch that ermine, he finds their den, and he makes up this muddy batch of gook and he puts it all around the hole of that den. And when they get at, the dogs get to chasing these creatures. They run for their dens, but when they get there and they see all of that filth and mud that surrounds the hole, they won't go in because they don't want to get dirty. And it's easier then for the dogs to get them, the hunter to get them. We ought to be like that little creature. We don't want to get dirty. We need that commitment that we're not going to give in to the filth of the uh, world, but we're going to stand for the cleanliness of those that are in Christ. We're going to be different. Number two, these men were determined. If you read verses 8 through 18 of Daniel 3, you'll see this. When they refused to bow down to that idol, there were some folks that were jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they went to the king and they told him, they said, look, you've got these three Hebrew men over here that are disobeying your command to bow down to your idol." What are you going to do about it? Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have much of a choice after the decree he made, did he? If he were going to stand up to what he had commanded. While these men chose to be different, as we've already talked about, not give in to the whims of their peers or, or the king himself, they now are under pressure before the great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. So they were determined. Number one, they were determined in spite of insinuations. Verses 8 to 12. I'm not going to read all these for time's sake. 
But verses 8 to 12, these verses tell us that these three Hebrew men were accused of being enemies of the king. You've got these servants over here, these Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not your friends, they're not your servants, they're your enemies. But in fact, if you read back in the earlier chapters, you'll find out that these three Hebrew servants were faithful servants of King Nebuchadnezzar. But whenever these men determined that the decrees of the king were in direct violation of the commands of God, they remain true to God. You know, when, when we decide that we're tired of what the world wants to offer us, and we stand up from Jesus, we can count on some folks turning against us. Paul taught that in 2 Timothy 3.12, when he said, yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions. You know, Jesus even had his enemies, didn't he? People that hated him. Read Luke 6.22. Read Luke 22 and 41. Matthew 10, the latter part of that chapter. They had enemies. The Lord did. But when our enemies rise up against us, we need to be like these three Hebrews in Daniel 3. We need to stand. We need to stand for Jesus. When the time came, he stood for us. Romans 5 verse 8, Paul said, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he was there for us. He stood up for us. The least we can do is to stand for him. Secondly, they were determined in spite of interrogation. Now Nebuchadnezzar, he may have in his own way wanted to be fair about the matter. So it seems as you look at verse 13 and 14, he offers them a way out. You know, he seems to be giving them a, a way in which they can save face. He gives them an opportunity, it seems, where nobody was around except him. And if you'll just bow down to this real quick and up, I'll see it and you've fulfill the commands. Nobody else is going to know about it. Why don't you just bow down, get it over with, you can keep your jobs, you can keep your positions in the kingdom, and everything will be just like it was. And if this king wasn't offering them an opportunity to uh, save face, he was at least giving them a chance, verse 6, or verse 15 says, to save their, their lives so they wouldn't suffer that death in that fiery furnace. But these men stood firm even with the interrogation of Nebuchadnezzar himself. You know, there's going to be times in our lives 
that the world is going to try to pin us down about what we believe. They'll kind of put the pressure on us. Sometimes we say, tighten the screws on us to make us kind of squirm because we think differently than they do. And you know, we have no reason to back away from what we are. We have no reason to be ashamed about who we are. And we have no reason to be ashamed of who we belong to. The advice of Peter some 2,000 years ago is still as relevant today as it was then when he spoke in 1 Peter 3, 15, 16, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And even when the world don't understand us, we need to be determined to stand for God anyway. Thirdly, they were determined in spite of intimidation. Verses 15 to 18. Now I want to read those verses because I think they're important. Let's start at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now Nebuchadnezzar had just previously in that verse 15 talked to them about bowing down to that image when the proper music was played. And he even told them in the latter part of that verse, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? So they're going to give him an answer here. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. These men were determined in spite of intimidation. Nebuchadnezzar really put the pressure on them. You're going to die by this furnace if you don't bow down and worship this idol. He's trying to intimidate them into doing what he wants them to do. But isn't their response great there? You know... Basically, these men said whether we live or die entirely depends upon the will of our God. In fact, they seemed perfectly content either way it went. Their reasoning kind of reminds us of uh, other Bible characters. Job, for example, Job 13, 15. He said, though he slay me, talking about God, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And then Paul, of course, in the New Testament, Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
The example these men set for us is, is priceless. They loved God so much that they could not be intimidated into doing something they knew was wrong. God help us to have that kind of faith and trust that we would do the same. So they stood the ground. Well, they needed to be different. They needed to be determined. Third and last, verses 19 to 30, they needed to be delivered. Verses 19 to 23, they need to be delivered from the flames. This king got so mad that he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. If you look there in verse 19. So hot that after he had commanded these three Hebrew men to be bound in their clothes and cast into the fire, that it consumed those who were doing the casting, the soldiers that died. You know, they were delivered to the flames, and sometimes we're delivered to the flames today as well. Just because we've been baptized and our sins have been cleansed by the blood of Christ and we're living for the Lord, that does not mean we're going to be protected from the troubles that come in life. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 33, the Apostle Paul talked about the pearls that he experienced in life near death on several different occasions. And on top of all of that, he said... There's the care we have for the churches. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 14 verses 6 to 11 was beheaded because he spoke the truth about the king living with a woman who was not his wife and could not legally be his wife. And then look at what they did to Jesus as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 A sheep that was led to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, 12, the man who bore the transgressions of us all or of many, as the Bible says in that passage. You know, if, if the world treated the great men like these that we talked about and even our Lord in this way, we can't expect to be treated any differently, can we? So Paul says all those that will suffer persecution or live godly will suffer persecution in Christ Jesus. That means us. Now that's not, you know, some people think Christianity is a pleasure cruise. But Jesus said you better count the cost first. When he talked about the man building the tower. See whether or not you've got the willpower to finish, I guess. If you're living for Jesus, there's going to be some things that will come up you'll have to deal with and you'll have to take a stand for the right. You'll be delivered to the flames. We all will. The flames of persecution. But when you look at verses 24 and 25, you will see that they were delivered in the flames. 
It's kind of humorous in a way when you think about it. Uh, you know, we might ask the question, why didn't the Lord spare them from the fire? Well, the Lord received more glory from delivering them in the flames. Because while they were there, bound and thrown into that furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar looked in, what did he see? He didn't see three men, did he? The Bible says he saw four men, and the fourth like as the Son of God, right? Yeah. They might, they might have been told, don't let the king see your sweat. I don't know. I do know that uh, the Bible says that not even the smell of smoke was on these men when they were delivered out of the flame. But they were in the flames. You know, God may let us pass through the flames, through the fire. But as some of the songs that Jamie led in the beginning of this service we may, we may be in the fire sometime, but he'll deliver us and he'll be right there for us. Hebrews 13, 5, the Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, speaking for God, or God speaking. And then Jesus, to his disciples in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar meant to do them in, but God meant to set them free. They walked around in that fire unbound and unburned. Now you think about that. You see, the world and the devil means for our destruction just like Nebuchadnezzar did for these three Hebrews, but God uses things for our good and for his glory. Many things we don't understand. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Didn't say all things are good. He said all things work together for good. Not everything that happens to us is good, but eventually we will see something good as a result of it. Genesis 50 and 20, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it, that is, selling me into Egypt, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for good. And certainly it turned out good in regard to Joseph in that case. And we ought to know that the fourth man in Daniel 3 is still there with us today. Thirdly, they were delivered from the flame. Nebuchadnezzar called them out of the fire, determined they hadn't been burnt, there wasn't the smell of smoke. You know, I've been piling up a few brush from the ice storm last few weeks, and I set that on fire every now and then and burned that, and the smoke, everywhere I go, if I go over here, here comes the smoke. If I go over here, here it comes this way. And by the time the day's over with, I smell like I've been roasted. You know how that is. Smell of smoke. These men did not have a scent of smoke on them. They were delivered after the flames. 
And when they got out of that furnace and Nebuchadnezzar noticed all of these things, he acknowledged their God as a God of power and a God that all should serve. You know, I don't know how the enemies of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt after this episode was over with, those that had reported them to the king to start with. But I imagine there may have been a change in attitude. Sometimes the enemies that we make by taking a stand will have more respect for us than the friends we made when we straddled the fence. When we go through the fire with Jesus, he'll be honored. And Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 14, we'll be growing as his children. He'll be more precious to, to us and we'll be more determined than ever to be different from the world and to take our stand for him in spite of the consequences that may come our way as a result of it. The Lord wants us to be separate. He don't want us to be like all the people of the, of the world. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be determined. And he wants us to be delivered. He wants to deliver us to heaven. But he cannot do that unless we submit ourselves to him. We need to be obedient to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because that's the God that gave his son to us. When we weren't deserving, he gave his son to die for us that we could live. But we can't live unless we're in Christ. And we get into Christ by being baptized into Christ. And once that event occurs and our sins have been cleansed, then we must live faithfully while we have our existence here in this life. Determined to serve the Lord to the very best of our ability. Looking forward to the home that he'll give us in heaven. So tonight, if you're subject to the invitation of our Lord in any way, we would encourage you to respond as we stand together and as we sing.